morning. Glad you guys are here, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this journey that we're going to be on for the next four weeks or so between now and Easter as uh, we just kind of follow the, the life of Jesus in his last probably 24 hours or so. Um, we're going to kind of go slow. Um, you, you see this, we're going to be in, in Mark today, Mark chapter 14, and you see this in Mark's gospel especially. Uh, Mark is, is, he uses a lot of like urgent language. He's like, and then, and next, and immediately after that, and right after that, and right after that, and right after that, and then when he gets to chapter 14, he just slows way down. And you're like, oh, we've been listening to somebody on 4X speed for the last 13 chapters, and now he's going to talk normal. And that's how he approaches the last 24 hours or so of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to slow way down. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to lean into this. Uh, we're going to do this to acknowledge um, the high price that Jesus paid for our salvation. Uh, we're going to do this to understand Jesus better. That's one of the best ways to understand someone is to hear their stories of pain, Right? I have a group of guys I meet with on Tuesday nights, discipleship group, and, and we share stories of, of pain uh, pretty regularly. And so when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in the group and I'm, I'm sharing about uh, some hurt or heartache that I've had, I don't do it so that the guys will feel sorry for me. Uh, I don't do it so that they can judge all the ways that I went wrong and the reason why it's probably my fault. Uh, I don't do it so that they'll be angry at the people who hurt me. I do it so that they'll understand me. And by understanding me, we, we grow in trust and our love for each other. So we're gonna listen to Jesus's story uh, about the last 24 hours or so, this story of hurt and pain and rejection and abandonment and isolation. And it's not a fun story. So we, we, we come to, to Sunday mornings worship and we wanna be cheerful and we wanna be happy and we wanna celebrate. Um, but uh, sometimes we have to sit in the, in the moment. And this moment is about pain and, and difficulty. So we're gonna do that for the next four weeks. So if you're thinking about, um, well, maybe I'll just come back on Easter when it'll be more fun. Let me just challenge you, encourage you, invite you. Don't skip to the end, all right? This is something that we kind of like to do in our lives. If we can avoid pain, we just do that, right? That makes sense. Um, and so if we can avoid just sitting in someone else's pain, sometimes we do that. But the good stuff's on the other side of it. So we need to go through. We need to go through this pain and, uh, and, 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 and experience Jesus's story uh, along with him as we go through. So I wanna invite you to lean into that. We're gonna... We're gonna lean into Jesus's story of pain, not, not so we'll, we'll feel sorry for him, um, not, not to critique or, or, or judge or evaluate, analyze everything that's going on, uh, not to, what, what we sometimes do is sort of soft sell the pain because we're like, well, he was the son of God, so it probably wasn't that hard for him. Uh, we're not gonna do that. We're doing this to understand him because the better we understand Jesus, the more we trust him and love him. And we're gonna understand him better through his, through his pain. Uh, so there's not gonna be a lot of, uh, you know, celebratory moments, uh, not a lot of jokes. You're welcome. That's the last one. Um, we're gonna lean in to this difficult time. So Mark chapter 14, uh, if you would turn there with me, we're just gonna read through some scripture. And here's, I just wanna encourage you. I'm gonna talk between the scriptures. I'm gonna say things out of my mouth. I want you just to, you can tune me out. I want you to lean into the scripture here. What um, what Mark is recording about these last days of Jesus's life. Starting in verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. 
Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus invites uh, three of his, his closest friends, the, the men that he's been pouring into for a few years, the men that he has come to depend on and he wants to lean on them in this time. And he says, come in and pray with me. Would you, would you just sit up? I know you're tired. It's been a long day. I, would you stay up and pray with me? My soul is in distress to the point of death. Jesus says, I'm so sad I could die. You ever felt that way? I think, man, nobody understands. When we feel that, that level of sadness, I mean, nobody understands what it's like to feel what I feel. Jesus does. Jesus was so sad he could die about what he was about to go through, about the reason why he had to go through it, about what was gonna happen in his relationship with his father. And so he prays, and he prays, Father, if it's possible, if there's another way, let's, let's do another way. And Jesus reflects kind of what I mentioned earlier about our desire to avoid pain and let's, let's, find, another, let's find a way around it. Let's just skip to the end. Let's get to the good stuff. And Jesus says, if, if there's another way, let's do the other way because this is gonna be really hard. And the father's answer is, there's no other way. This is it. This is what we've decided. This is what we planned. And Jesus embraces the Father's will. Let's continue reading. Mark uh, 14, verse 37. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he comes back. And the guys that he's, he's been pouring into and, and the guys that he's leaning on in this moment and he said, guys, I need you right now. I need you to stay up and pray with me. And they fell asleep. And he says, I think it's fascinating the way that Mark records this. It says that he's talking to Peter. It says he's, gonna, he's saying to Peter and then he calls him Simon. Well, why does he call Peter Simon? Well, Simon was his name. Simon was the name his mama gave him. That's, that was his name. Peter was his nickname that Jesus gave him. And Peter means rock, the strong one, the solid one. And in this moment, he is not Peter. He's Simon. He's not, he's not living up to the name that Jesus called him into as the strong one, the rock. Instead, he's just Simon, the guy that falls asleep when his friend is hurting. I wonder if that hurt Peter a little bit. You would think that would wake him up for Jesus to abandon his nickname. This is the moment when the ones who are closest to Jesus fail him. Now, this is not the end of their story for Peter, James, and John. They, they, they go on after this, but in this moment, there's a spotlight on their weakness and their failure. And Jesus experiences loneliness and isolation because of this. And, and you guys know that, that loneliness and isolation have been a big... Um, theme and kind of our story as a, as a globally for the last couple of years. And, and it seems like maybe now more than ever, we need people around us to support us and encourage us and make us feel stable and give us someone to lean on. 
So it's when life is uncertain that we need our friends to remind us that we're not alone. When uh, Sarah and I, right after we got married, we moved to uh, this town in North Carolina called Roanoke Rapids, which I, I name for you so that you may avoid it. Uh, Roanoke Rapids, we lived there, um, we moved there in 2000. And I, we were starting out, this was our first kind of you know, full-time ministry together. Uh, she started a job uh, as a service coordinator for at-risk youth in the, in the school system there, which was a very emotionally taxing uh, job that, that she was unable to just clock out of. Um, and I was starting this ministry and this, this new community and trying to figure things out. And Roanoke Rapids was a very tight-knit community in the sense that if, you're, if you weren't from there, you didn't belong there and you weren't really welcome there. And this even extended into the church family. And ministers were just kept at arm's length and we were, we were asked to serve the church family without being a part of the church family. And um, we, we lived there for two years. We were never invited into anyone's home. Uh, we never made any friends. And we went through this transition of being newly married and, and taking on these new jobs and uh, dealing with stress and all of this um, alone. And I don't know how we made it two years. I think if we had stayed any longer, there would have been some pretty serious damage to our souls. Um, that was a difficult time because we felt like there was no one there to support us. And in our moments of need, uh, we were just supposed to be there for everybody else. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you experienced that. Jesus experienced that. He had told his disciples previously at the, at the supper, you're all gonna fall away, which they thought was crazy. They would never fall away. And yet Jesus is asking these three men to pray with him and they, they can't stay awake. Let's continue, verse 39. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. Let's pause right there for a minute. I think sometimes we, we, we think like, well, I prayed it once. If God wants to answer that, he will. If he doesn't, he won't. I'm moving on. But the example that Jesus sets is one of persistence and repetition in prayer. And he goes to the Father again in agony and pain. And don't you think that the agony is not just on Jesus's part, but on the Father's part as well? What father wants to see his children suffer? What parent doesn't try to orchestrate their kids' lives in a way that helps them avoid pain? This is what we do for our kids. We don't wanna cause them pain. And those are some of the most difficult moments as parents when we do things that bring pain to our children. In, in 2013 and 2015, uh, both of those years, within two years, we uprooted our family and moved uh, to a new town, twice. And in, in both times, it was painful for our children. And it was so hard as a father to watch and know that they're hurting because of a choice that I made. Don't you imagine that the father listening to his son cry out in agony and God, is there another way? Can there be another way? He's heartbroken at the pain of his son. I think if, if God cares when his son is hurting, and then scripture calls us sons and daughters of God. Don't you think he cares when we're hurting? Don't you think he wants to hear from us when we're in pain? Don't you think we are free to repeat the same prayers and requests over and over again, even when we're not getting the answer that we're looking for? Jesus did. And I believe that we're invited to do the same. So uh, 
Well, let me pick back up there. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus' emotional distress in this moment gives way to boldness. There's a transition, a shift. And instead of the the prayer for a, a different way, he's embraced the Father's will and he just rises into this moment. Guys, wake up, get up, stand up, let's go. It's time. Things are gonna happen now. And he knows that Judas is coming, the betrayer. Verse 43, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scripture must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Judas was not some outlier, some fringe guy who's, who's coming in unaware of Jesus's message and his mission Judas was an insider. Judas was someone that at at one point, Jesus looked at him and said, I want you to follow me. And he said, yes. And this, this one who listened to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount where he says things like, the meek shall inherit the earth. And things like, when someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. Judas never had any reason to believe that Jesus was actively pursuing an overthrow of the Roman Empire. And yet some people believe that Judas's motive here may have been to nudge Jesus into this role of Messiah that Judas thought Jesus should fulfill. He thought, maybe if I get him arrested, maybe if I push him, maybe if I take him all the way to the edge, he'll finally rise up and be the leader that we're looking for. Maybe that's what Judas was trying to do. But what we see in his action is that he listened he, to what Jesus taught. He watched him, but he didn't absorb it. He didn't take it into his heart. There was, some, there was some disconnect between the way of Jesus and the way of Judas. Instead of adopting Jesus's way, he held on to his own. And he's, he's the bad guy in the story for sure. But can we not relate Have there not been moments in our own lives when the way of Jesus and the way of Adam wasn't the same? When there's a gap between what I decided and what God called me to? And in those moments when when we live out a different story than the one we were created for, we betray the family values. We betray the sacrifice of our Savior. We betray the love that he poured out on us. We're not that different. And at the end, everyone deserts Jesus. 
which is just heartbreaking. When you think back, when he sat down with them at the Last Supper and he, he gave out the bread and the cup, how many of them took it? He said, this is my body, this is my blood, it is for all of you, and all partook. When he called them out and said, you're gonna fall away, every single one said, not me, no way, I will never. But in this moment, everyone abandons him. Everyone falls away. Jesus is left alone, abandoned by his friends, the ones that he needed when he was in his deepest moment of need. And friends, if you have ever been abandoned, if you've ever been rejected, if you've ever been alone, felt isolated, if you've ever grieved and shed tears in silence and solitude and you thought no one was there to see you, no one knows what that's like better than Jesus. No one can relate to you better than him. No one can look at you and say, I understand exactly what you're going through. But Jesus, he was betrayed by the ones closest to him. He was rejected. He was left alone. He shed tears in silence and solitude. And he has been with you in all of your darkest moments. There was never a moment when you were truly alone. I spent the last, uh, I spent some time yesterday reading stories about uh, the refugees um, from Ukraine, which was kind of a miserable way to spend an hour or so, but uh, it's important, I think, for us to hear those stories. One, uh, maybe you saw this one, one was about this, uh, this teenage boy, Ukrainian boy, whose, whose parents had sent him and his grandmother away. It wasn't safe where they were. They sent them to a refugee city. And they arrive in this, in this city and they're being interviewed and, and this, this teenage boy is there and he's distraught about leaving his parents and his grandmother is there and, and she, she's not able to communicate or make eye contact. Something's going on with her. And they quickly realize she's not well. And so they, uh, they take her, there's a medical tent nearby and they rush her over to this medical tent. And a lot of this is on camera as they're interviewing this boy and the nurses come out and they're saying, we're trying to stabilize her and all this. And, and within a few minutes, she was dead. And as, as they're, th this young 15-year-old Ukrainian boy is finding out that his grandmother died. There's a report. This is one of those moments when you want to punch reporters. They're putting a microphone in his face and saying, what are you going to do now? How is he supposed to answer that question? His parents have sent him away to, to a place of safety from a place of danger. His grandmother, who was his supporter and provider, just passed away. What is he going to do now? He's alone. He couldn't respond, obviously. He just cried. But he wasn't alone. I believe God is close to the brokenhearted. He draws near to, though, to those who are alone and isolated and lonely. And he does the same for you and me. I think we have this opportunity to see in the story of Jesus comfort for us in our times of sadness and despair. I think we have an opportunity to see ourselves a little bit in Peter and James and John who are called on to pray in a moment of need and we fall asleep 
because we can't keep our eyes on the bigger picture. I think we have in this moment opportunities to relate a little bit to Judas when our way is not matching up with the way of Jesus. And I think we have in this moment an opportunity to recognize the love of a father who looked at all of us and judged Jesus' pain worth it so that we could be redeemed. As we wrap up this morning, um, we're going to uh, pray together and the tradition of the Psalms. You read the Psalms, there's a lot of Psalms about joy and hope and celebration and the great things God is doing. And sometimes that's kind of how we're taught to shape our prayers. And our prayers are about, you know, thank you, God, you're, you're, you're doing such a great job, you know, being God and just keep doing that, do more of that, right? But some of the Psalms don't read that way. Some of the Psalms read more like, God, what are you doing? In fact, Jesus is gonna quote one of those Psalms from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's from Psalm 22. It's a psalm that we would call a lament. A lament is this invitation to express what you're actually feeling when you're not feeling great. It's, it's this invitation to tell God, I'm, I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. And I think a lot of us feel that disorientation in our world from time to time. We've experienced it pretty steadily over the last couple years. And, and maybe you're experiencing it still today. So I'm gonna invite you to pray a prayer of lament with me as we close. Would you stand? And I'm just gonna guide us through this. So I'm just gonna kind of read a, a guiding statement and invite you just, just where you are to just fill in the blank with your prayer to God. And you can do this in silence uh, if you like. And um, we're just gonna pray a prayer of lament in the tradition of the Psalms and know that God is big enough to handle our emotions. God is big enough to handle our questions. And then we're gonna end the way almost every single one of the laments ends. We're gonna end with praise and a renewal of our trust. So would you bow your heads and just begin with telling your father God the ways that he has been good to you in the past. Just just call out those ways. How has God been good to you? Now, let's express to God something that we see in the world or in our lives that's not right. We, we can see this and feel this and it's just not right. And just tell God what you see that's not right. Now express to God how you feel about what's not right in the world or what's not right in your life. Are you sad? Are you angry? Are you confused? Are you lonely? Just express those emotions to God. Just be honest.
If God were standing right in front of you and you could ask him a question about what he's doing, about what's not right in the world or in your life, what would you ask him? Just ask him your question. We're going to close with praising God. We know he's been good in the past and he will be good in the future. So express your trust in God, even in your moments of doubt or pain or sadness based on his faithfulness in the past. Just declare to him because of his faithfulness in the past that you will trust him with your future. Father God, you are always good. Everything that you do is for your glory and because of your love for us, your people. But sometimes we don't understand what's going on. We don't understand why some things are allowed to happen, why some people suffer while others prosper. We don't understand why pain is brought into our lives, why we are rejected, why we are abandoned, why we are left alone. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know how this is gonna get resolved. And we wonder sometimes, where are you and what are you doing? But in this moment, Father, we rest on your faithfulness. We rest on the knowledge that in Jesus's darkest moment, you were present. You didn't solve his pain, but you were with him and you comforted him. And so we rise up with Jesus as we leave here today with full confidence that you're good. We can trust you and we can have the courage to obey. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Go and be salt and light in a world that desperately needs the love of Christ.